Well, good morning, Christ City. Before we get into our sermon this morning, uh, we're starting a new series in Lamentations, and so I wanted to suggest to you some resources to help guide your time uh, through these next seven weeks as we explore and unpack the book of Lamentations. Uh, The first book is a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Uh, It's a general book on lament by Mark Vergrop. Great little book. I would highly, highly commend this to you. And then Christopher Wright's The Message of Lamentations is a great, uh, easy, readable commentary through the book of Lamentations. And so uh, these two resources, if you're looking for books in this series, we always like to begin this way, uh, equipping you uh, to read on your own and engage the book of Lamentations throughout the week. And so I would recommend these both uh, highly to you. Well, good morning, Christ City East Vancouver. Would you remain standing as we read God's word this morning from Ecclesiastes 7? Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4 says this, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Just recently, I read uh, Brave New World uh, by Aldous Huxley, the, the classic. And in that book, He wrote of a future in which all pain, all unpleasantness, all sadness is done away with uh, through selective breeding and conditioning and drugs and social programs. Unhappiness and sadness have become things of the past, uh, archaic, things you talk about in history lessons. Sadness and sorrow were, in Huxley's world, blemishes on a society that needed to be cured. Uh, Early in the book, this important man, he's educating this crowd, he's a historian of sorts. Uh, He spoke of how society depends at their core uh, on everyone, everywhere, more or less, doing well, being happy. Not being sad, but being happy. Everyone keeping their head not full of sorrow. And in disgust, uh, he describes the people he calls pre-moderns like this, crying, My baby, my mother, my only, only love, groaning, my sin, my terrible God, screaming with pain, muttering with fever, bemoaning old age and poverty. And then he says, how can they tend the wheels? And if they cannot tend the wheels, the corpses of a thousand, thousand, thousand men and women would be hard to bury or burn. Now, we might laugh at Huxley's dystopian, futuristic characters and how they think of sadness and sorrow. We're much more polite, aren't we? It would be mean for us to not allow someone to, to be sad or, or to cry. Uh, that their bemoaning, we believe, is something that, if we are to be polite, should not be interrupted. But we're not sure why. See, our world, I would suggest, right now, where we live in this place and time, is not that different than Huxley's dystopian future. We don't like pain. I don't like pain. We don't like sorrow. We are not good at things like lament. We cover it up, don't we, with all sorts of things, food and drugs and drink and sex. Anything to not feel something. This is true, not just out there in the big bad world, but in here in the church as well. How we take and we drink what our culture believes to be true about sadness, not good, And we apply it to our walk with Jesus. And we say things like, well, didn't Jesus say somewhere, you know, think on the bright side or look on the bright side? Didn't Jesus say, just be happy? Don't worry? It's Jesus or Bob Marley. One of the two. See, the major contention of this series, the big 
argument in this entire series in Lamentations will be that when we fail to lament, when I fail to lament, and you fail to lament, and lament as Lamentations instructs us, not only do we believe untrue things about our God, but we actually act and live in a subhuman way, less than what we were created for. Further, we fail to grab hold of a gracious gift in lament given to us by a loving Father. See, we might be able to get away without lamenting, ignoring lament when things are good, but as we know, things don't stay good. Things don't stay nice. See, as our reading reminded us this morning by way of introduction into lament more generally, the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Lamentations, therefore, will be our home, as it were, for the next seven weeks. Seven weeks in the house of mourning that we might become wise. And by way of introduction uh, to Lamentations and really lament more generally, I want us to answer three questions this morning. Three questions. What is lament? Really simply, what is it? How, what, why should we lament? Sorry. And thirdly, how should we lament? So what is it? Why should we do it? And how should we do it? First question, really simply, what is lament? What is it? Well, let me first tell you what it is not. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor, author, theologian, wrote a great book on prayer. And in that book, he asked the question, uh, what should I do with my emotions? What should we do with our emotions? And he says there are three responses to that question, what should we do with our emotions? First, we can suppress them, just push them down. A second, uh, we can vent them, just speak them out. Or, or thirdly, he says we can pray them. Now, we're going to look at option one and three in due time, but I want us to look at option two right now. Because I think a very popular misunderstanding of lament sounds something like this, and I'll put it on the screen. Lamenting is all about venting my frustrations, sadness, and sorrows. We could call this a cathartic approach to lament. We've got a bone to pick with, with God, with our world, uh, with other people, and so we vent. But we don't necessarily end up anywhere or come to any sort of conclusion or some greater truth. It just feels good, we say, to get it off our chest, to just vent. Make no mistake about it, I think generally speaking, this is how our culture understands lament. And I think this idea of venting as lamenting has made its way into the church as well. Over this past season, there have been many Christians who have said to me, we don't lament enough. And I agree with you. I think we've lost lament. But then they say, don't give me gospel hope. Let's just sit in our sadness. Don't take me to trust. Let me just sit here in my sadness. And I want to say we need to be very, very careful. And we need to walk a very fine line as we come to lament. On its own, the book of Lamentations will not give us tidy resolution. It won't. And so to those people, I say, amen, you're right. Lamentations will not give us tidy, neat, pat answers. In fact, let me give you a sneak peek at the very last verses. In Lamentations 5, 21 to 22, we read, 
Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. And then the author asks, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us, that's how Lamentations ends. That's how it ends. It ends with a question. Have you utterly rejected us, O God? Have you utterly rejected us? But because we live on this side of the cross, because we live on this side of Jesus, we hear Jesus, the Son of God, yelling from the cross in reply to Lamentations 5, 21 to 22. No! He hasn't rejected you. In fact, I was rejected for you. See, it's because Jesus laments from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me that you and I can be sure that our Father has not forsaken us, you and me. So so you and I don't lament simply to vent, no. We enter into lament as a means to move us to trust in Jesus. We complain to God in faith that he hears us, that he can bear our sorrow, and that he definitively speaks back to us in his son Jesus. We believe that God responds to our lament. See, all throughout Lamentations, we will be called to live in this paradox. And we can't forget this. God is good, but life is hard. Jesus is for me and for us, but it doesn't always feel like it. As one author writes, This is the essence of biblical lament. It is faith, listen, struggling with vertigo over the chasm between what it knows to be true about God and the realities of what it sees or experiences in this fallen world. Faith struggling with vertigo. I love that expression. Our Father says to us, bring this tension to me. Bring your questions your frustrations, your complaints to me. So during this series, when we journal, and let me encourage you to journal, we don't just write down in our journal our own thoughts to ourselves. No, we address our struggles and our frustrations to a God who hears us. In humility, we approach him honestly. Lamenting is not mere venting. And so what is it then? Again, Mark Vrogrop Again, he wrote that wonderful little book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. He makes it very simple for us. He defines lament like this. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Let's take this definition in its uh, in sections. Lament is a prayer. It is God word, as we've already seen. It, it might surprise you that a third of the Psalms, a third of the, the Psalter, the songbook of the church, is full of laments, consists of laments, a third of it. There is a long and storied history of lamenting for God's people. See, if we read our Bible, we know that things weren't always easy. They weren't always simple. It wasn't smooth sailing. And here we need to learn the context in which Lamentations comes to us. The year is 587 B.C. Jerusalem has been besieged by the evil Babylon, big bad Babylon. And we can read about this uh, fall of Jerusalem in 2 Kings 25. There we see that city walls were torn down. Palaces and great houses burned. 
The temple is set on fire. The treasures are carried off into Babylon along with people. People walk into exile. It's a devastating event in the history of Israel, the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. And next week, Heath is going to look at the faithlessness and the sin of Israel that led to their destruction. But this week, it is enough to remind ourselves that just because we are the people chosen by God, elected by God, it does not mean that we won't have ample opportunity to lament and to grieve. In fact, as we look in history, lamentations begins to be used in worship services for Israel. Not only as they look back at 587 BC, but in their continuing history. In 168, Jerusalem is captured again. Uh, There is a Greek god erected in the temple. A pig is slaughtered on the altar. It is desecrated. And Jerusalem, rather Israel, responds with lament. Again, lamentations would have been prayed in 70 AD. In 70 AD, the temple is once again destroyed and laments were prayed in response. Even recently, lamentations guided Jewish worship services following the horrific events of the Holocaust. Lament has always been about praying, but praying our pain. Praying our pain, but in a way that leads to trust. If you're a person who likes categories and breaking it down, prayers of lament typically, not always, but typically contain these four elements. And I'll put them on the screen. Turn, we turn to God. Complain, we bring him our complaints. Ask. We ask him to move in our lives and in our world. And finally, a movement to trust. But I know your steadfast love remains. I know you're still God. I want us to turn now and ask, finally, thirdly, why should we lament? So what is lament? Now, why should we lament? Many things we could say here, but I want to give us three. First is this. Jesus himself laments. Lamenting is the biblical witness. Jesus shows us what it is to be fully human, right? And as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he laments over a city's unwillingness to receive the prophets. He laments over Jerusalem. On the cross, as we've seen, he recites the words of lament in Psalm 22. What's more is as we turn to the Apostle Paul and his writings in the New Testament, we find that he, living in the fullness of the cross, in the fullness of the victory of the resurrection, Paul still laments. Go with me to Romans 8 and look there with me. And remember that Paul is writing this letter towards the end of his missionary career. Paul is a seasoned believer. He has seen a lot. He gets it. And so what he pens in Romans 8 cannot be the sign of immaturity. No. Instead, he asks this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. He's quoting Psalm 44, a psalm of lament here. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Lamenting is not just an Old Testament thing we do away with with Jesus. No, it is intended to be our continued practice. We are still to lament today. Second reason we need to learn to lament. A failure to lament, listen, it impacts the church's witness to the watching world. 
Again, in that prayer book, Tim Keller suggested there are three answers we can give to the question, what do I do with my emotions? We've already seen why it's sub-Christian to simply vent or just vent, but now I want us to see the danger of suppression. And all of us who suppress our emotion all the time get very nervous. This is a dangerous thing. And the fact is this. When we suppress, push down the pain that inevitably comes as we live in a world marked by sin, sin without and sin within, we tell the watching world that our God is too small to handle our pain and our frustrations and our hurt and our sorrow. A few years ago, I had the honor of doing my wife's grandfather's funeral. And to a crowd full of Christians and non-Christians alike, sort of like us this morning, to a mixed crowd, as it were, I implored them to bring their grief and sorrow to Jesus. And then I read John 14, 27, the words of Jesus there. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Friends, not only are we the only ones who can point a lost world to a Father who can bear our lament, we alone can bear witness to the Father who gives us peace in the midst of our sorrow through lament, through prayer. One commentator reflecting on lament in Lamentation says, it is also a service to the church, and listen, and for those who currently live outside the Christian community. Why? Well, they're waiting to see if the church has a sense of reality in a harsh world. We are not an escapist community. We don't need to suppress our lament. If you are in Christ, you can confidently turn, complain, ask, and trust him. We have a big God who can handle big sorrow, deep hurt, tremendous evil. The second reason we need to lament is because it impacts our witness to a watching world. Third reason, we should lament because, let's face it, we need it. We need it. I need it. I'm thinking of two ways that I need to lament in this season. Let me just say this. I'm learning and growing in this area. This is not a person speaking to you now who has perfected lament, who regularly laments even. I'm learning and growing, hopefully, with you. But I need to learn to lament because I need to be reminded of the severity of my sin. My sin against God is no small thing. Israel's sin against God leads to the destruction of Jerusalem, leads to tragedy and heartbreak. Our sin in our life has consequences. And when we do not lament over our sin and the consequences, we normalize our sin and we minimize our sin. Again, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept over its sin. Next week, Heath will lead us and we'll read these words. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. 
When's the last time you talked about or thought about your sin like this? Lament reminds us of the stomach-churning, distress-inducing, death-bearing nature of sin. But I also need to learn to lament because sometimes, sometimes the sin isn't mine. Sometimes the sin is the sin of others. And sometimes it's just the reality of living in a sinful, fallen, broken world. And for some of us, this has been the hardest year of your life. And lamenting in Christ is like Jesus saddling up onto the couch next to you this morning. He hears your weeping. He sees your crying. And he says, I know it's been hard. This isn't the way it should be. And I'm here. You can trust me. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn to lament because this is what Jesus did. This is a way in which we will reach a dying, lost world. And quite frankly, we need to learn to lament because I need it. And I'm willing to bet you do too. Last point, really quickly. Jake, you say, I'm sold on lament. I think we should do it. But how do I do this? Well, we're going to learn. But let me say just three things this morning as we wrap up. First, the one thing we should never forget about Lamentations is that it is, first and foremost, a corporate lament. A corporate lament. How do we lament? We lament together. Together, as the church. And that will mean a few things. Uh, For one, it means beginning next week, and for the duration of this series in Lamentations, in both our Zoom and our in-person gatherings, we're going to stop in the middle of our gathering, and we're going to read an entire chapter of Lamentations. Uh, Each chapter of Lamentations is its own poem, meant to be read in its entirety, in the presence of God's gathered people. This is Israel lamenting their corporate sins, how they as a people have not obeyed God. So we're going to lament together. We're going to learn together. We're going to use Lamentations in the way it's been used throughout the ages. Second is this, we're going to lament, or how should we do this rather? We're going to do this patiently. We should do this patiently. Lament is this act of protest in a world that wants quick fixes. It it will not come naturally to you and to me, because I'm like this. It will not come naturally to us who want quick fixes, immediate solutions. More than that, it will feel, I know this, to many of you at times, like this is a big waste of time. Like we should not be lamenting when we could be out there making a difference. I want to ask you this morning, maybe this is bold, but what are you running from? What are you ignoring? What are you running from? What are you ignoring that needs to be dealt with? Not by suppression and not through venting, but through the biblical model of lament. Hear this invitation, Christ City. This is a place, and these are the people who want to patiently lament alongside you for these seven weeks and beyond. This is my invitation to you because I want it myself. So we'll do it together. We'll do it patiently. But thirdly and finally, how do we lament? We lament with hope. We patiently lament, and we don't rush to pat answers. We shouldn't do that. But our lament must always be tinged with hope. 
We do not, and hear me, we do not lament the same way Israel laments in Lamentations. We don't even lament the same way David laments in the Psalms, and those are a bit more cheerful. But because Jesus has come in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the grave, our lament, even in the darkest of night, is always colored with hope, always tinged with hope. Earlier, I took us to Romans 8, and there we read Paul quote from Psalm 44. Notice that Psalm 44, 22, and Paul in Romans 8, it assumes that there is hardship and therefore lament that comes to a Christian precisely because they are a Christian. Precisely because they are a follower of God. The psalm reads, Yet for your sake, because we follow you, Yahweh, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Let me just say this. Following Jesus is not a good lament avoidance strategy or a hardship avoidance strategy. We will be persecuted. We will be. We saw this in the Sermon on the Mount. But what we didn't read earlier is what comes next in Romans 8, after Paul quotes Psalm 44. And what comes next in Romans 8 can only be described as defiant hope. Defiant hope. Hope that refuses to be drowned by the weight of opposition. Hope that proclaims that the grip of Christ on our lives is stronger than the pull of this world. Paul writes, and we proclaim with him, even in the midst of our lament, these words in Romans 8, 37 to 39. No, no. Should these things overcome us? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What the world has is suppression inventing. But what we have in Christ is an amazing ability to pray our laments, to pray our sorrows. In Christ, then, let us together join the wise in the house of mourning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this strange but beautiful and gracious gift of lament. And I pray that you would teach us to lament, not just over these seven weeks, but as a community seeking to bear witness to you in this place, that we would lament well and such glorify you. Amen.